the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Welcome back, everyone. Hello, Justin. Hey, Lindsay. We are continuing our remote recordings. I just feel like we have to say it every time in the beginning. I don't know why. Yeah. No, we have to. Uh, it's. I think the only one that sounded slightly different was Welcome to the Dollhouse. But, you know, yeah. it's all stayed pretty consistent. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this episode, we're going to take you way back to the beginning of the 90s with 1990s Total Recall, which is one I'm really excited that we're talking about today. I have not gotten sick of watching this movie over and over again. And it's crazy to think that this movie is 30 years old. It is. It is crazy. And just just the way that it looks. And I mean, heck, even the people that are in it, like everyone kind of looks the same, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 30 years ago. But the everything in this movie it still feels so fresh which is just crazy to me yeah I'm, I'm a I'm a huge uh Schwarzenegger fan and I think this is like the prime Schwarzenegger time right here the late 80s early 90s is, is when I think he was putting out his best stuff and for those of you that have heard our episode when we did Predator uh, way back in season one you know how I feel about Schwarzenegger's eyes. Yeah. And um I was looking watching his eyes in this movie to see So expressive, aren't they? They are they are expressive. He just says so much with those eyes. Not in like an over actory way either. No. No, I I think it right when right before he's, you know, getting hooked up to the machine before we go to Mars communicates so many feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and we we see it uh this is one movie that Schwarzenegger I feel goes beyond what, um, at least in 1990, what we were used to seeing him in. And that's going to be one of the topics we'll talk about, too. Yeah, lots to talk about here. This is one of those movies, I always feel like a big, huge movie like this, there's a lot of production stuff to talk about. like Because this was a movie that you know didn't get made right away. It went through like many, many, many uh, versions of the script, and it took many, many years. It swapped different companies, different directors. So uh, a lot of lot of history and, and cool information to talk about for how Total Recall came to be. So we'll talk about, yeah, the history of writing, production, um, how there's kind of a few political messages, too, in this movie. Of course, we always love to hit upon the cast. We'll talk about the placement in Schwarzenegger's career and uh, director Paul uh, Verhoeven's career. One, one thing, as with many Paul Verhoeven movies, not all of them, but some of them, uh, the violence aspect in Total Recall kind of surpasses RoboCop, which I had forgotten. It, it had been a while since I'd watched this movie, and it's way more fun and enjoyable to watch than RoboCop as far as like the violence goes, at least for me. But it is, man, what a gory movie. <laughs> it is pretty gory, and you know, I, I remember as a kid when this came out, 
there was like just so much media attention and criticism of the violence. And as a kid, I was thinking like, this is awesome. You know, he's like blowing everybody away. But as I was watching it, (laughs) as I was watching it the last few weeks, several times, I was like, wow, this is like pretty like ridiculously violent. Um, It (laughs) still really doesn't bother me, you know, and Verhoeven's the kind of director that just kind of like laughs off that kind of controversy because he, you know, he's like, it's a movie. I make violent movies, deal with it. I think that's one of the things I appreciate about him the most is he's thinking he's not thinking about it like this is something that we're that we need to be sensitive about he's like it's fake it's yeah all fake, yeah and so. i you know and i don't think he's a guy who's like setting out to, he's like let's make this as violent as we possibly can it's just something <laughs> that you know this is a big yeah. action movie and there you know people are shooting guns 85 percent of the time it is a very loud action movie there's a lot yeah. of gunfire happening in this yeah. movie yeah yeah, and with that, you know, comes a lot of effects, and the effects team in this uh, in this film, we'll we'll go into it. We'll probably talk about some of our favorite scenes, favorite effect scenes. But man, I don't know. I actually paused it and went like slow mo on numerous scenes just to see it, and was like, how does this looks so flawless. Yeah. This looks so good. Yeah, there's some there's some really great effects, and I think also too there was like so the change. You know, there was the history and time where effects started changing. So we might get into a little bit of that because this is probably the last one of the last few gigantic movies I think that used uh, miniatures. You know, before things like totally switched over mm-hmm. um, hugely to CGI. Yeah. So a lot to talk about with Total Recall. Looking forward to that. And Justin, what is your pick of the week? This time around, my pick of the week, I was kind of hee hawing a bit on what I was going to do, um, but I ultimately landed on another Schwarzenegger movie that I really like. And I mean, man, watching it this time, I, it's just such a, you know, dare I say the word heartwarming uh, kindergarten cop, Ivan Reitman's 1990 kindergarten cop, which came out the same year as Total Recall. You know, I love me an Ivor, Ivan Reitman movie. Well, uh, what was your pick of the week? Um, I went with um, a David Cronenberg movie from 81 that features uh, Michael Ironside, who plays the bad guy, one of the bad guys in Total Recall, um, and that was Scanners. It's a good pick. I considered doing that one, that, but then when you said you were going to do it, I was like, uh, you know, run with it. Run with Scanners. You can always tell. You you don't have to like be butthurt about it. You can tell me that you you know want to do I would have done Kindergarten Cop, you know. I didn't tell you at the time. I'm only telling you now because I didn't, I didn't want you to feel like weird about doing it. I feel kind of like the person who's being butthurt in the situation is to me, but <laughs> why don't we just do a spontaneous flip flop and you do scanners and I'll do kindergarten cop right now. I'll do what you, what I think you thought of scanners and you do what <laughs> you think I thought of kindergarten cop. I love this idea. This is the whole new podcast. <laughs> really get into our minds. You know, it's total recall. It's 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 it's, it's the time to do it. Well, as always, uh, after we talk about our picks of the week, uh, we'll round things out with a Murray moment. But Lindsay, before we get into Total Recall's first clip, can you please give us a short description? This is kind of a weird movie to surmise, but if you can do your best and kind of make this thing make sense, if if someone's never seen this movie before. Yeah, it's um man, it is so involved and you normally wouldn't say that about an action movie and especially maybe one featuring Arnold Schwarzenegger, but this one is so developed, it's a lot of fun to pay attention to. And it's one of those that you kind of do have to pay attention to the story. All right. 
Set in 2084, uh, we find this mild-mannered, run-of-the-mill construction worker looking for a little adventure in his life. And for some reason, he's unconsciously drawn to the idea of visiting Mars. And in a world where this is a real, fantastical option, Douglas Quaid buys a mind trip to the planet. But after the memory implantation seems to go wrong, Quaid now can't discern what is reality and what is not and soon finds himself caught in a nonstop chase on Mars, a civilization ruled by a dictator bent on keeping down a rebellion. And just like Quaid, we, the audience, also don't know what is reality and what is not. I think that's a good, as good as, as any anybody could do for... I mean, there's a hell of a lot that happens. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot there's, that happens. It's um, There's... There's mutants, there's double crossing wife, there's I mean, where yeah. where does it where is does it, it end? Dream? Really? Isn't it a dream? We'll get in all that after our first oh, yeah. clip. Yeah. Here we go. We'll be right back. Talk. I said talk! I'm not your wife! The hell you're not. I swear to God I never saw you before six weeks ago. Her marriage is just a memory implant. You think I'm stupid? Ah. You remember our wedding? Was implanted by the agency. Falling in love. Implanted. Our friends, my job, eight years together. Suppose all of this was implanted too? The job's real. The agency set it up. Bullshit. <sighs> they erased your identity and implanted a new one. I was written in as your wife so that I could watch you and make sure the erasure took. <sighs> Sorry, Quaid. Your whole life is just a dream. So as modern as Total Recall seemed when it came out in 1990, it was actually uh, uh, based off a short story that came out in 1966 by Philip K. Dick called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. What a weird title to say. Yeah, it doesn't really flow, but I it, it piques the interest, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so the story had been around for a while, but, um, uh, you know, definitely as, as Hollywood started changing and, and sci-fi was getting bigger and bigger, um, you know, he, Philip K. Dick was a, a writer who, um, has had many of his works, uh, produced into Hollywood movies. Unfortunately, most of his, uh, notoriety in Hollywood came after he had passed away, but most people know him as the writer or as the story that, um, that Blade Runner is based off of. Yeah. And uh, the writer, Ron Shusset, one of the writers of Total Recall or screenwriters, uh, read this story, had always remembered it. And uh, I think it was in the magazine of, of fantasy and science fiction. And uh, I think if, if I, this was correct, he, he bought the story for like a thousand or a couple thousand, super cheap. And Ron Shusset, you know, had this idea he wanted to develop this into a movie. And this is around 1976 and knew about Dan O'Bannon and decided to give him the story, see if he wanted to get involved. And so together they started working on the, the screen version of, of what would become Total Recall. But there really wasn't any interest in it. And so this was in 76. This is prior to Alien. And both O'Bannon and Shusset are the guys behind Alien. And so they, they shelved Total Recall, which turned out to be a good idea because then Alien came about. And this story just like sat there and didn't really do too much because people thought it, it seemed like it would be too expensive. It was just like 
kind of out there and there just wasn't the interest. So Dino De Laurentiis, um, a well-known producer at the time, took on the project and had a lot of great ideas, but got in a little bit of conflict with, with Shusset. And um, they eventually, you know, worked through it and had a lot of different actors and directors um, in mind. I think there were like seven directors, something like that. But the only one besides um, Paul Verhoeven, who was way down the line, um, who really had any bearing on the story was David Cronenberg. And so in the mid 80s, David Cronenberg kind of came on uh, on board for Total Recall. And, you know, this movie, like we're still in the mid 80s. This is still like five, six years to come. Cronenberg works on about 10, 10, 12 versions of the script. And keep in mind, too, that there's about 42 versions of this re-envisioning of the Philip K. Dick story. So many cooks in the kitchen for this. So Shusset and Cronenberg have a lot of creative differences on it. And so he starts working out the story in that way. And I guess diving back a little bit towards the original story. And Shusset is saying, hey, dude, you're just like writing the original story. Cronenberg says, I thought we were like kind of trying to, you know, amp up the original story and make it, you know, better. So Cronenberg taps out. He just kind of loses interest and isn't given any credit for his work on the film. But I will say it is uncredited, but talked about that he's responsible for coming up with the ideas of mutants being on Mars, which is a huge part in in total recall which is so cronenbergy so so cronenbergy oh i like that term cronenbergy um though i can't imagine this movie be i well the thing is is like i can imagine this being a cronenberg movie but i think it was like jeff goldblum richard dreyfus like and they were an accountant they weren't a construction worker such a different tone this movie would have been the cronenberg route versus like schwarzenegger and verhoeven yeah and cronenberg wanted i think william hurt for the Schwarzenegger role, which is, yeah, completely different. I feel like it would have been such more of a, uh, like a trippier and like serious tone if Cronenberg done it. Oh, very much so. So there was pre-production that started um, on the film and it started in Australia. De Laurentiis had numerous box office failures, especially after Dune and his company just kind of collapsed and he ended up having to fire everybody that was on you know, the pre-production for Total Recall. And again, this movie goes not necessarily in the trash, but goes back on the shelf. Now, Schwarzenegger had heard about this and um, had always been interested in the story, just hearing rumblings of it, and goes to Dino De Laurentiis and says, hey, can I can I get this movie or can I get someone to buy this movie for from you? And he says, sure. I'm not sure what the amount of money is, you know, in here, but it's Schwarzenegger. He's got pull, you know. So Paul Verhoeven had done RoboCop by this point. Schwarzenegger loved RoboCop, wanted to be RoboCop, I would say. So the first guy he goes to is Paul Verhoeven and gets him interested in it. Carol Co., who is a production company that did Red Heat with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Um, agrees to buy the movie rights to Total Recall. And once Verhoeven was on, he kind of brought in a lot of production people, special effects people, like same cinematographer, production designer, editor, 
uh, Rob Bottin, who we'll talk about later, all, all of those guys from RoboCop. And there you have it. That's the kind of like beginning of how what we know as Total Recall started. And it did not go to Australia. Instead, they opted for Mexico City to shoot there. I think, one, it was cheaper, and the architecture was one thing that they kind of all fell in love with. And with the, you know, kind of star power and money that Schwarzenegger had, they kind of had to think about budget. This was already a movie with a giant budget, uh, from the get-go. Also a movie that if it weren't for Schwarzenegger, I don't think that this movie would have ever been made because he was the cash cow. He was the reason that this movie was going to be made. I mean, it had been sitting around for 13 years without anything happening. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that he didn't get a producing credit on this because it seemed, I mean, from all the stories that, you know that I've read during the research, I mean, he really seemed like the facilitator for how all this came together. And then even as far as getting stuff done that that the director couldn't get done like um the Verhoeven and the writers wanted there to be big wide shots of of Mars like establishing the planet and the studio was just like no way that's like way too expensive and and Schwarzenegger like was like no we need those shots so yeah it's it's kind of wild uh you know the star power he had you know at that time like where an actor's you know saying hey you need to you need to shoot these we need these really great establishing shots of the planet and that an actor says that and and the studio is like okay we'll uh, we'll make it happen he he had a lot of stake in the movie he had a lot invested in this and i don't know maybe you're just not going to argue with arnold schwarzenegger it's probably why a lot of this worked but i think a lot of credit goes to him for for pulling this one off i think that this is one of his best movies where he wasn't just like like a grumbly action guy and I love those kind of movies he did I think he did a lot of movies after this where he tried to kind of stretch his range and and you know play a, a shoot 'em up character but someone who has uh, you know weakness or some sort of uh backstory and I don't think anything that quite matched the the stretch that he did for this movie especially playing two characters yeah, exactly. I don't think I would throw... I know that Twins came out technically before this, but and that was a major departure from anything that he had done, but this seemed... That he had so much interest in this story and seeing it through, it kind of made me look at Arnold Schwarzenegger a little differently, honestly, just because this is an ambitious story and production to take on, and a character that Schwarzenegger can look at and think, I'm the guy that should play that. You know, he can be the everyday man that has, you know, a romantic interest. He's not just commando, you know. But yeah, it's it's easy to not give Schwarzenegger the credit for, for this stuff because of his, you know, if you base it on his early films, which were just all about his physique, you know, which is extraordinary. You know, I mean, like, I think that's why you believe him in all these like sort of like big, huge, like action roles. You can easily under underestimate him and how passionate he was about doing this sort of like uh, intelligent science fiction movie, but also realizing what an audience wants is to see me blow a bunch of dudes away too. So he was just like, let's balance this out. Like I'll fit this movie and it can be, you know, a, a perfectly intelligent science fiction film and also like a kind of a blow them away action movie as well. Yeah. And the, 
you know, the deeper message, there's there's a lot of, you know, kind of political messages being said under this movie on top of the idea, you know, of this being a dual reality type of film. Well, and it's it's strange the sort of relevance that this movie has. I mean, watching it the last few weeks, it's just like, so Cohagen <laughs> could be Jeff Bezos and Amazon <laughs> would totally buy another planet and and then start charging people like extraordinary exuberant amounts for things that they help develop. You know, and there yeah. would totally be like cheap uh, greenhouse effect domes where uh, people who didn't have money would be getting not good versions of air like they do yeah. water in other parts of, you know, the country. And it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, of, of things that happen where you're like, oh man, this is like way more relevant and kind of uh, prophetic than you would expect. Yeah. And, Total Recall in in the way of its story and how an audience can take it. Like you have this dual reality story and then how you watch the film. I think you can watch the movie as a total shoot 'em up action movie that has a lot of really cool effects. But upon second, third viewing, like pay attention to the story because it's actually super involved. And I don't mean... I don't mean pay attention to the science or or if something is, you know, actually something that could happen. Like, don't this is a fantastical movie. Don't don't try to rationalize anything that's happening. But the the messages that that are happening in it, it's surprisingly like really interesting and super in-depth and just repressing the, you know, voices of freedom and keeping people down by, you know, making them live in crappy environments and working for their air or else they die, privatizing a planet. Like, this is just deep, deep stuff. It's yeah. really cool. And, you know, one of the simplest things about this movie or, or this story transitioning into a feature film, it's a very simple thing, but I, I applaud it because I think a lot of science fiction movies um, don't do this, and that's... This movie came out in 1990. The, this movie takes place, they make it take place in 2084. So way, way, way into the future because there's a lot of science fiction movies that you watch now that came out, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And, and you're like, and it took place in 1995. Or like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's yeah. like they were like not thinking real far into the future. And I, I, I like, it's a simple thing, but it's funny how many movies, you know, you, 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 you turn on and you're like, oh. So this was supposed to be in the future when it came out, but now we're we're way past that. So <laughs> it was like um, five years ago. Still got a ways to go before uh, <laughs> you look back in this movie and go, "Ugh, 2084. That's that happened 20 years ago." So uh, Total Recall still has a lot of mileage on it before it starts looking old for the year that it was supposed to come out. And we're still looking for life on Mars if people could live there. And there's a lot of things that are happening in Total Recall on Earth. And, you know, I don't know. Are we already, like, yeah. edging towards that? Maybe. Well, mo most people don't know is Jeff Bezos already bought Mars. <laughs> it's happening already. And virtual reality stuff, that's not a future thing anymore. No, yeah. It's a lot of this stuff that, that that's here. Going into some type of sleep deprivation for two weeks to be a completely different person, I that's got to exist. Yeah. If it doesn't, it's going to before 2084. So, yeah, everything, uh, you know, 
so yeah, Schwarzenegger lined everything up for, for this movie. Schwarzenegger was a big admirer of RoboCop, so he was so thrilled to be working with Verhoeven. And at the time, this movie, I think, was like one of the largest budgets that had been made for a film. Um, I don't think that's on record anywhere, but they said that, you know, it was in it was in that range. And uh, like you were saying, it wasn't filmed in uh, Los Angeles uh, for budgetary reasons and also for atmosphere. And I think it was like filmed mostly on like a military base in Mexico City, which kind of gave it that it does have this very sterile kind of like prison-like look. It, you know, even the apartment that um, Schwarzenegger and Sharon Stone share uh, is like almost looks like a like a dorm room, like with the cinder block painted walls. Yeah, yeah. And with the of the sets that they did make, there were, I think somewhere around 10 stages with three to four different sets. So, you know, it's not to say that, you know, this was all in on a military school or all in a train station. There were very real places that they used, um, but they had so many other sets that they built and all using the same type of architecture that they found in Mexico City. Schwarzenegger said, and Verhoeven said, it was like a extremely difficult shoot um, because everybody was getting sick, you know, as, <laughs> yeah. as like every other day, yeah. someone was getting food poisoning from either the water or the food. And I think Schwarzenegger was like the only person didn't get sick. And he, it's like, he flew in a chef that was like only preparing <laughs> his meals and like, he yeah. was like drinking shakes and stuff. Ron, Ron Shusset, the, one of the writers said that he, he and Schwarzenegger, yeah, were the only people that didn't get sick. Shusset said it was because he, it was kind of made fun of a little bit for it, for being such a almost freak about, you know, cleaning and making sure he wasn't drinking, you know, water from taps or anything like that. He was very on it, on it, on it. And I think it ended up doing B vitamin injections every day too. And he's like, I don't know, man, I didn't get sick. Schwarzenegger didn't get sick. But uh, yeah, they had, I think, eventually had to have an ambulance nearby or on set because people were getting that sick that often and had to be at least within running distance to a bathroom, we'll say. Well, all your cautionary stuff, Franchosset, you can you can feel validated now because <laughs> all those things don't sound too crazy in 2020. Nope, not at all, dude. <laughs> Well, one of the big things that makes this movie, I think, fit so well and, and really jump off the page is the wonderful cast that they brought together for this. Most movies that had Arnold Schwarzenegger, there were a few that had like good cast surrounding him. But for the most part, you know, he was the main guy and all the scenes kind of relied on his shoulders, but not so much for this one. So we're going to go to another clip where we're going to come back. We're going to talk about this cast that they put together that really makes this like a believable and and great and entertaining uh, uh, movie to watch. All right, let's do it. I can't wait to hear what the next clip is. It's going to be, this movie is so visual. Yeah. It's just going to be a clip of a lot of grunting sounds by Arnold Schwarzenegger making a lot of weird noises. A and, lot of and, and a lot bullets. Of gun, and a lot of gunfire. Yeah. So you may want to turn your headphones down. How about a neck snap? There's more than a few neck snaps in this too. I'll find a good neck snap clip here. Cool. Cool. Let's do it. We'll be right back. My life I worked for Mars Intelligence. I did Cohagen's dirty work. But a few weeks ago I met somebody, a woman, and I learned a few things, like I've been playing for the wrong team. All I can do now is try to make up for it. You see, there's enough shit in here to fuck Cohagen good. Now, unfortunately, if you're listening to this, that means that he has got to me first. And here comes the hard part, old buddy. 
Now it is all up to you. First, let's get rid of the bug in your head. Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. Just shove real hard. When you hear the crunch, you're there. Just pull it out. Be careful. It's my head, too. Now this is the plan. Get your ass to Mars. Then go to the Hilton and flash that Brubaker ID at the desk. That's all there's to it. Just do what I tell you, and we can nail that son of a bitch who fucked you and me. I'm counting on you, buddy. Don't let me down. Like I was saying before the clip, the cast really makes this movie so much fun to watch. This was probably the movie to introduce Sharon Stone to most people. And I remember, you know, as a 13-year-old kid thinking, whoa, who is, you know, she just stood <laughs> out immediately to me. And then yeah. also, like, such a badass on screen. As far as I can tell from interviews with Schwarzenegger, Sharon Stone, and, and, and with interviews with Sharon Stone, she you know, trained really, really hard because she was going to have to go up against Schwarzenegger in a fight and not just go him to a fight, but kick his ass and really plays that convincingly. But, uh, but at the same token, you know, plays this sort of character where she's supposed to be very nice and like his wife, even though she's tricking him, you know, plays that side of it too. She almost has like this, uh, like a villain from a James Bond movie. There's such a great moment in her like double agent type of character that she is. Uh, I mean, she's really only in like three scenes in the movie, but they're lengthy scenes. Uh, but where you really see it is where she and Melina, Rachel Tocotin, are fighting. I think she's got Melina on the ground and Schwarzenegger calls over to her and she's like got this villainous like like she is looking to kill Melina face and Quaid calls her and it's just like it melts away in the slightest little way and it happens in her eyes and it's it's incredible actually like how she does it and it's easy to see why uh, Verhoeven you know wanted her for Basic Instinct which was his, his next movie after that yeah what Sharon Stone brought to this movie it's so strange that I believe that she and Schwarzenegger are evenly matched in this movie but it it looks so good. It looks so good when they fight. And and she didn't want to do the movie Total Recall. She was totally against it because she had done two action movies already. She was in Above the Law with Steven Seagal and Action Jackson with Carl Weathers. And she just didn't want to be like the action movie person, you know, and especially a lot of the movies she were doing were like, you know, kind of B movies. But Sharon Stone's favorite movie was an early Verhoeven film called Spetters. And once she found out that he was attached to Total Recall as a director, uh, she wanted to jump at the chance to work with him. I think, though, the her physicality from doing action movies and, and you know, stunt fight choreography really made her believable in this. Like, I, I believe that she can whoop Arnold in this movie. You know, Action Jackson actually was my introduction to Sharon Stone. I watched that movie a lot as a kid. I don't know why. But I mean, I remember really liking it, and I still do. I haven't seen it in ages, but it's a good bad movie, I think. You know? Yeah, 
But that was my introduction to her. But I, I don't think that as a kid I connected the dots that was the same woman when I saw Total Recall. Honestly, I probably saw Basic Instinct before I saw Total Recall, now that I think about it. Um, next, man, Rachel Dakotan, like I was saying, the, the fight scene with she and Sharon Stone is so good. And I really love the partnership between uh, she and Schwarzenegger's Quaid character. They seem like such a, it becomes this, you know, like partner action adventure two thirds of the way through the movie. And um, the ending with them, every time I've watched this movie more times than a lot of the movies, then we'll go through just because it's so enjoyable. And I feel like I see something new every time I go through this movie. But the ending, every time I say out loud to myself, man, I love this ending. It's just yeah. so good. It's so good. And uh, she's such a big part of of the movie and, and brings so much to it. When I love that she brings the chemistry between her and Schwarzenegger, because at first revisit when I was watching this movie, I was like, oh man, her character is just really almost like a, a way to force feed and the audience the information that they need. She's her characters, her like exposition is just filling in the gaps of Schwarzenegger's other persona, the Hauser character, like what their relationship was and, and where he was at. I'm used to seeing that in the movie where a character's only function is to serve as like the storyteller you know they give us the 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 information that we need so that we can get to the next scene but that kind of stops with her character a little bit in and then we see their relationship develop and i do like that this movie is is there's a love interest built in which can always slow a movie down but this movie like just keeps going it's like we see it on the side you know they have these exchanges and of course at the end they have this big sort of like hollywood kiss before the end credits but i really love that her character you know just wasn't like a throwaway kind of like one note character and i think that has a lot to do with her ability to like connect with arnold and have that you know, chemistry that we only see for a moment. You know, she, again, is same with Sharon Stone. They're not on the screen. They're not, well, a lot of time we're just following uh, the Quaid character around, but they, they do a lot with a limited amount of time. Yeah. And especially when we have the first scene where uh, Melina and Quaid are alone, like you were saying, you know, you, you kind of feel like, okay, this is where we're going to get you know, everything explained through this character doesn't really matter. This is she's but it's it's meant to pique your interest. We don't actually get all of the information that you need. And that's it kind of like it pulls you for she pulls you further into the story. Yeah. And uh, moving right along, have to mention Michael Ironside. What a good bad guy. A good bad guy. I mean, the guy just looks like a bad guy. And this dude has 270 IMDb credits. <laughs> and most of them are movies that I have never heard of. But, you know, I think he's like just had a history of playing that bad guy so well and having that look that, you know, he goes from like B movies to like big, huge, you know, budget productions where he plays a really well paid bad guy. Or just the a hole. You know? Just an a-hole, yeah, and I mean, but he does it so well, and I think in this movie, it's like really effective, and then I also love how kind of like mad he gets, you know, because he's, he's in a relationship with uh, Sharon Stone, I think like she's his real wife in the movie, and you know, she's been having to sleep with Schwarzenegger because she's been implanted by the agency, so she's acting as his wife. And uh, there's a scene where, you know, he's he's just really mad. He wants to kill the Schwarzenegger <laughs> character. And he's like, when I find him, I'm going to kill him. And the other guy's like, 
yeah, I don't blame you. I wouldn't want a guy like Quade Pork in my wife while I was gone. <laughs> and then Michael Ironside's like, are you saying she liked it? And he's like, no, I'm sure she hated every minute of it. <laughs> but I just like this idea that he's, you know, he's like the inferior, you know, he's just like pissed off the whole movie. We see a character who's like so hateful and pitiful and we get to see his demise by getting his uh, arms ripped off and Schwarzenegger getting a good one-liner out of it. See you at the party, Richter. God, sorry. I can't I can't help it, but it's So, it's just such a such a silly line, but so effective. But it's he's he's getting him back, you know, for like kind right. of being uh I think the scene before that when the main character played by Ronnie Cox, who's Cohagen, who's the you know, ruler of this civilization is he and uh, Richter have hooked Quaid back up to return to Hauser, the person, the double agent that he was before. And Richter takes that moment to just punch him straight in the face, which is the culmination of his hatred and jealousy of just wanting to like kill him basically for pork and his wife for a couple months. Yeah. And um, yeah, Schwarzenegger gets gets that satisfaction of holding his arms as they're ripped off from his body. It's pretty good, <laughs> but and you can't help but laugh at that part. <laughs> and speaking of Ronnie Cox, I, I just wonder if, uh, you know, it went down like this, like where Verhoeven was like, you know, we've got this <laughs> Cohagen character. He's like sort of, uh, you know, this like aging white dude who like is power hungry and he's just like a real big a-hole. And uh, he's like, you know who did a really good job of that in RoboCop? Ronnie Cox. Let's bring him in, you know, have him kind of do the same character they did in RoboCop because he did it so well. Look, Ronnie, how do, you, how do you feel about playing the same exact role as you did in RoboCop? I totally recall. And he was totally game. And he, you forget that Ronnie Cox was like, did these sensitive roles in like the <laughs> 70s and stuff because he plays like the elitist a-hole so well. He's so good and such a sweetheart in deliverance. Yeah, come on, yeah. come on. And then, and then to this role. Ooh. Yeah. It's like, watch, watch Beverly Hills cop and, and, and totally call back to back. <laughs> and you just see, you'll see the, the difference. Uh, also Marshall Bell, who's in so many movies. Um, he has kind of not a blink and you miss it, but he, he has, you know, kind of a substantial role in this movie, but it, it's, pretty short but marshall bell has been in movies for ages and generally also like michael ironside plays kind of scumbaggy bad character um but in this he's um you know he plays part of the rebellion against the cohagen imperialist dictatorship type of thing and um i love seeing marshall bell he's got that amazing prosthetic by rob botine on him Whew. yeah quato so good and we've got Mel Johnson Jr., who uh, plays Benny, also the guy who keeps telling Arnold Schwarzenegger he's got five kids to feed, <laughs> so he needs the money, and who also ends up double-crossing Schwarzenegger. Isn't that like one of, if you haven't seen Total Recall, that is the part, I feel like, in the movie, the Benny character that you're not expecting. You're like, oh, man, I was not expecting him to be in on it. And Benny's character also, I think, shows, you know, because he shows that he's a mutant or he's an alien and so there's like, they kind of show that there's this like political side of he's like, no, I'm I'm safe, you know, I'm an alien, like I'm one of you, yeah, I'm one of you, you know, they're they're true to the the to Mars, so they're not going to go against uh, the you know the private corporation from Earth that bought Mars, but but they were wrong. Yeah, such a good solid supporting cast behind this. Schwarzenegger, like we said, is in almost every scene. 
but every everyone around it, whether you look at this movie as something that's actually happening or it's all a dream, you realize, especially on the second, third viewing, how intentional every character is in the film. And every performance is just, yeah, just amazing, yeah. really. And the uh, Johnny Cab, uh, just wanted <laughs> to make a quick shout that the voice of Johnny Cab is uh, Robert P- Picardo, who we, who we love here at the uh, podcast. Pretty sure that that model... Uh, of that robot too is Robert yeah. Picardo it's don't you very, think it's got a very it's like Robert Picardo mixed with some sort of like 1940s like talk show host yeah exactly like a milkman yeah <laughs> milkman yeah. talk show host so obviously um, this movie was very influential to Schwarzenegger's career and really catapulted him further um, even past like uh, the the bigger star that he already was and added uh, I mean Terminator 2 came after this and I think that that's just when like it was Total Recall which showed that he could be more than just an action star and like I said before you know Twins was there and that showed that comedy aspect too that that Schwarzenegger can do I haven't really ever been able to put my finger on why Schwarzenegger works so well in the comedy department but he really does and making comedy and action adventure like the whole tone of this movie is super important and very unique to this movie and it's also something that Paul Verhoeven um, is is known for doing in, in a lot of his films and Total Recall really kind of along with RoboCop but Total Recall just like blew up Paul Verhoeven Robocop like made Paul Verhoeven known, but I think this movie was one of his like huge hits, you know, and of course most people know him from Basic Instinct, but I think he brought a lot of his sensibilities, like most of his movies, if you're familiar with his work, like Showgirls, Basic Instinct, Robocop, uh, Starship Troopers, a lot of them kind of seem like these goofy, sometimes humorous, like very violent movies, but they're also like have like this intelligence to them as well and this awareness to them. He's a very intentional director. When you watch his movies, you don't feel like any of this stuff was like accidentally put here or is like accidentally funny. Total Recall has been called the director's movie. And for many reasons, one big reason is that Paul Verhoeven is all over this and that is in the overall vibe of it and to be able to combine ultra violence humor adventure and an intricate involved story that's not just i mean even just the five movies that we've named all have pretty developed stories you know whether or not you like them or or however you feel about them um they're all multi-layered and Paul Verhoeven is just like all over Total Recall. Yeah, and he's definitely a I feel like a director who though he's not writing the scripts to these movies, his signature is like stamped on them pretty hard. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you would you would think that he was a co writer at least. For this movie specifically, I do love his disregard for life and and almost comedic level of how violent a movie can get. I think in, in particular there's a use of a human shield that goes on like a little too long and probably knowing how much Paul Verhoeven gets edited down by the MPAA you know that that scene with a human shield was probably at least 30 seconds longer and it's pretty bad pretty bad in this movie 
Like RoboCop is violent, but that scene is takes the cake for kind of a level of grossness of of how many bullets a <laughs> a, a body a, a a dead body can take. The flesh is like tearing away. Like I can't help but laugh. I can't help but laugh. And I mean, you say as the flesh is tearing away. I mean, let's take a second and we could go talk. We could do an entire podcast just on the effects of Total Recall. But just kind of to you know, go into talking about the effects. There were many teams working on this to show, you know, said flesh being blown off of bodies when it looks like there, I mean, there aren't any cuts. I don't, I don't know how they do it. And it's such a different form of artistry. I'm always amazed um, at practical effects. And Rob Botine, who we have talked about um, on this podcast numerous times, most notably from The Thing. He really, really put so much work into um, into all of the mutants in this movie and, you know, things like watching bodies get blown apart. This is, I think, was considered to be like one of the last big practical effects movies, you know, that wasn't like a horror film or something, you know, like a high, yeah. high, 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 yeah. high budget practical effects movie. And... uh also notable because it was one of the I think this is one of the first movies that used the CGI shot which is the scene where Schwarzenegger's walking through the airport security scan Um, I think that was one of the first CGI shots in a movie and it's the only CGI shot in this movie the rest is you know miniatures and and practical uh, special effects isn't it nutty to think about that that that's one of the only CGI effects. There's a there's a few hologram effects. I'm sure that it took way longer, you know, then than it would say in in 2020. But the the X-ray scene that was done by uh, or headed by uh, the CGI coordinator Tim McGovern. That was a whole whole thing in 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 figuring that out. And actually, for for as short as that scene is you would not believe how much work they put into making it look as good as, as it does. And it's an effective scene. I mean, I was thinking, I, I remember when that, when this movie came out, like thinking that was like one of the coolest things I had seen. And along with, I mean, we've got two we've already talked about, but the, probably the other biggest uh, special effects team would be uh, headed. It was headed by Mark Stetson who did pretty much he and his crew did all of the miniatures and landscapes. And I, I know when we talked about Alien, like it blew me away thinking about doing map paintings and just landscapes. And Alien did a lot of shadow work, you know, and, and a lot is involved in that. And there were a lot of map paintings. And in this, they use shadows quite a bit. But this is, there's so much light. There's You see everything. And they really took, you know, the idea of Mars and studied Mars. And these these uh, sets that they would build are so um, detail-oriented. And you can see it. I don't know if I'm biased or something. But these scenes, Justin, don't they look incredibly real they look good and I, the <laughs> test of special effects to me is with blu-ray the real test of seeing how effects hold up is because on blu-ray you, you, know, you kind of see everything you know the, the effects the yeah. watching stuff on vhs back in the day really sure. masked a lot of you know and, and yeah. seeing something you know and even seeing something projected it's clear but when you watch this movie on blu-ray it looks fantastic there's only maybe like one or two shots where you know, you can kind of see some of the mechanics, you know, 
through like there's like one scene where Schwarzenegger like when he's gasping for air and his eyes are bulging out you can it's so clear you can almost see through you can see in the throat like in the mouth there's like some mechanics in there but I mean that's something that you would never see like on DVD it's not as high def but this movie thank goodness it was made in 1990 because you know there was like that well we won't talk about it but that dark period of CGI clunkiness that happened in the <laughs> mid 90s where those yeah. movies are really different when you watch them now you're like oof but uh but yeah it's still uh, miniatures continue to blow me away like I mean they're they, they're not used that much anymore but uh anytime I see a behind the scenes shot of like someone standing over a miniature and they're like then you and you think whoa that's that was a landscape that I saw that was it was all a miniature um still blows my mind and with the uh uh, idea of thinking about how something looks different on Blu-ray versus VHS, let's say. When this movie was being made, there was there was a lot of blue screen involved. So you've got miniatures and blue screen because they're going to need to work with that. Or if it's something in the same shot, you know, miniature and live action being shot at the same time. But when blue screen was used, they had to work with a lot of like lighting lighting issues so mars everybody thinks of as you know the red planet everything's going to have this reddish hue over it and with that they had to really counteract a lot of the natural lighting that was happening and make this super intense red that was going to happen and i i notice it like i don't know if this is the same on blu-ray i definitely notice it i watched this actually on vhs just to have the comparison vhs and dvd and you notice how friggin red it is and paul verhoeven didn't care he wanted it as red as possible because that is how you you know that's how you think of it and i still think it comes through so strong and only adds to the atmosphere of this movie and with all of the landscapes everything it's just crazy like how it all really works together and I think I don't know if it's just going over the top almost with how red it is and how rich it is but it it stays consistent and I think that that's why along with just like strong models and miniatures it just continues to work and stand out yeah I I love it when when they get the Mars that's you know, it, it just has like a, a good otherworldly vibe to it and look to it. And the man, I could talk about what I love about the effects so much. One, the bulging eyes that you already mentioned, that is something that will go with me to my grave as as something that is insane it's to pretty, watch. Pretty terrifying. Dude, Rob Botin, man. Just the uh, the whether it's the eyes bulging when Schwarzenegger transforms out of the lady, that entire scene is probably my favorite scene with probably a lot of people. Yeah, that like this movie. Um, but even something as, and I bet that this was somewhat. I don't know. I can't. I can't really say for sure. But I bet that this was somewhat easy. But I love the effect um, of when after. Quaid releases the oxygen, you know, for the planet and you see this like billowing oxygen that blasts out the windows. I think that that's maybe one that looks its age in the movie, 
but I really love the effect of it in it. And they still make it work, even though it does look out of place. But I think that that's kind of the point of it. And that's why it still works yeah. is because it is something oxygen doesn't exist there. So you can it can look out of place. It can look green screened in, but it's kind of it, it doesn't belong there. And that's why it looks the way it does. I love that cloud oxygen effect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The whole I really like the last 20 minutes of this movie is like heavy effects, but they all, I think, uh, really contribute to me buying the fact that that I'm on another planet. And this movie really did go over well. When uh, the test screenings happened, it seemed like it was really working. But the when the trailer was released, it I think Schwarzenegger said it had uh, 43% awareness or recognition with audiences. So people weren't seeing this trailer, whether it was before a movie or on TV or print ads. It wasn't yeah. computing with people. And yet again, like we said in, in discussion one, Schwarzenegger really took the reins and went to um i think it was the uh, head of sony that he knew that went to the folks who cut uh, empire strikes back and terminator and said recut this trailer <laughs> man schwarzenegger was like this movie is gonna do well i don't care what needs to happen it's going to when if you watch some of the old spots the trailer spots too like there was an approach of like making it seem like this sort of very vague and weird movie um, mm-hmm. And then there was like the other approach of like, this is a Schwarzenegger movie. Like, let's <laughs> let's show some Schwarzenegger doing Schwarzenegger stuff. Both things work for this movie, too, because it is cerebral. You know, it is a, this whole other layer. And I love the artistic element to it, you know, of us just seeing like half of Schwarzenegger's red, blue, shadowy face, you know, in a pyramid in the distance. But that's not what's going to get people into a theater. You know, they're going to want to see these amazing action sequences. And after the trailer was recut, it was like 99% recognition with audiences. And the, the movie just blew up, just blew up totally. Yeah, this was like a perfect storm of a big budget action movie with a big action star that like not only did well at the box office, but also got the critical acclaim that I think it deserves. And um, I still like that. The po- the poster to this, you know, I'm not real big on 90s posters where they just it, it went into like movie after movie where we just see the name, the last name of the actor in their face. But I thought this was like a really clever poster where it's it's got a very, you know, it's like he's out in outer space and it's very ominous. Yeah. And, but then you also the tagline, get ready for the ride of your life. Is yeah. Very, uh, <laughs> it's a very thrilling tagline. Yeah. I was thinking and. In- and rewatching this that for as big as the movie was at the time, I feel like it's this huge nineties hit that no one talks about anymore. And I don't really understand why I don't understand why this movie isn't talked about more other than, you know, you know, the 30th anniversary or 25th anniversary of like this movie holds up so well. It's really incredible. The only thing I, the, I just wonder if it's like Terminator two has like, kind of like overshadowed Mm. this movie in terms of like when you're looking at you know the best Schwarzenegger movie I think everybody thinks Terminator but I think this is I mean to me this is one of my favorite movies of his to watch you know I I, don't get me wrong I love the Terminator series but there's there's so much in those movies it's like not just a straight up Schwarzenegger movie in, in my mind and this I love that we get the sci-fi stuff that we do and, and, and now it sounds like I'm 
I'm not I'm not a Terminator fan, which is not the case, but No. It's it's not. Listener everyone listening, I know that Justin is a big Terminator fan. But I but I find this one to be more entertaining because it's like lean and mean and I get to see Arnie doing his thing. But <laughs> You know, you get this really fun uh, sci-fi movie at the same time, and I and I don't I don't really describe the Terminator movies as fun. They're pretty bleak. Yeah, uh, movies where this one you know is like got a happy ending. And not that I need that all the time. Uh, why am I defending myself? I like both <laughs> movies. I'm gonna go on record and say I like Total Recall more than both Terminator movies. If you sat me down and said you need to watch, and this is after me, I've watched Total Recall like three times in the last two weeks. If you sat me down and said, we're either going to watch Terminator 2 right now or Total Recall, I would go for Total Recall. And this is, and that sounds silly, but this is sort of my mindset for how I, I love movies because a lot of times my favorite movies, what, what I say is my favorite movie or what I think in my mind is my favorite movie, sometimes I wonder, but do I like that movie as much as these other movies? Because I always think if you take your favorite movie and you're like, no, man, The, the Godfather is my favorite movie or like <laughs> Bridge on a River Kwai, Citizen Kane are my favorite movies, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm not saying me, but I'm just saying if you, if you say that, yeah. but then I always gauge it as if I went over to a friend's house and they said they picked one of those movies, but then a movie like Total Recall, and they're like, hey, which one of these do you want to watch? I would always go for Total Recall, you know? Yeah. Um, yes. And I don't know why that, because it's like, to me, it's like a movie I can watch. It's 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 enjoyment, but again, it's not, I don't think it's dumb entertainment either, even though, uh, you know, if you watch, it can come off that way at times. Um, but no, this is uh, endlessly entertaining for me. I, I, I feel like I can watch this movie over and over again. I just, I don't get sick of it. I was really surprised at how many times I did watch this over and over again yeah. and and uh, loved every every time and finding new things, too. You know, there was a remake that I have watched part of uh, with Colin Farrell in 2012. It's fairly, I mean, it's the same and different at the same time. Not even just because I'm not the biggest fan of remakes. And Colin Farrell doing that Fright Night remake? Come on, dude. Anyway, it's not, uh, I would always say to go with the Schwarzenegger Total Recall. Yeah, I haven't, I can't say that I've seen the remake. The only thing I know about it is that it, uh, it I, I guess it takes like a much more serious tone than the original, but it just, for some reason, it just didn't, it just didn't, uh, interest me, you know, in seeing a yeah. remake of this movie. One thing also that I didn't know. Uh, was that kind of the sequel to Total Recall was Spielberg's Minority Report with Tom Cruise, uh, which is also a Philip K. Dick story. I did not know that. I don't know if that makes me silly for not knowing that, but I didn't know that until now. And it's weird because that storyline, you know, I I could see why that was a sequel because it was his character was supposed to then have a job um, working for the government where he would work as like a police officer or whatever, like that, you know, it's like, it was the same Tom Cruise was the Schwarzenegger character and yeah. the sequel to total recall. But I don't know. I, I, I don't mind more minority report. I think it's pretty, that's a pretty great movie. I don't know. I, I kind of like it better as, as my minority report, not as a sequel to not as seen, not if they would have done a sequel to total recall. I, I liked, I liked that Total recall is a standalone film. Both standalone movies. That's how they should remain. It shouldn't be a sequel, but from Philip K. Dick's point of view, 
yeah, that's what it was. Total Recall uh, was nominated for a, a, quite a few awards, uh, especially like the Saturn Awards really recognized it for quite a few things. Um, it did get uh, a special achievement and and special effects uh, at the Oscars. So that's pretty cool. I mean, this movie is well deserving of, of any type of special effects awards. Well, we'll come back. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Total Recall. Um, but let's for right now, let's uh, move on. Let's go to our picks of the week. I'll talk a little bit more about Schwarzenegger. You'll talk a little bit more about Cronenberg. Um, yeah, good old Cronenberg. Well, your movie was uh, Scanners, which is a movie that uh, I almost did as a pick of the week. Until I robbed you from it? Yeah. So. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. That's cool. You were like Cohagen and Total Recall <laughs> for, for my pick of the week. I totally Cohagened you out of that yeah. one, bro. What uh, what can you tell me about scan? <laughs> what can you tell me about Scanners? So Scanners is one that I hadn't revisited in quite some time, but remembered mostly for its like impressive special effects moments. It's more science fiction than horror. Uh, Scanners is about telekinetic and psychokinetic abilities and harnessing that power as a weapon. And if you have that ability to alter someone's behavior or decisions, uh, like to use the powers of your mind, you can imagine the power that lies within controlling that. The rather involved plot centers around a man, Cameron Vale, who becomes aware that he's a scanner, someone who can incapacitate or control people with his mind. Vale is picked out by a uh, private military company called Consec, who have this defunct program of like researching scanners. But after one of the most powerful scanners around, played by Michael Ironside, the big bad dude henchman from Total Recall, after he infiltrates Consec and kills a bunch of people in the hopes of shutting down the program, he becomes enemy number one. Although it may seem like Ironside's Revic character, man, every time that they say Revic, his name in the movie... <laughs> It really sticks with you. I don't know how many times I've said Revic after watching this movie. Anyway, that's an aside. Every time uh, uh, it, it might seem like that Revic's character could be a rebel of sorts, it turns out that uh, he has his own plans of world domination. And Vale is enlisted by Dr. Ruth at Consec uh, to find other scanners to bring down Revic's group of assassins uh, before more bodies start piling up. Like I said, this story is winding and involved. Um, it's not a movie that you can step away from. Like, there's a fair amount of carnage, explosions, and bodies on fire, uh, but you need to follow the story in order for it to make sense. It was written and directed by body horror master David Cronenberg, as we said. Um, this film definitely has its graphic moments, but it's a lot tamer than, say, Cronenberg's Fly, Videodrome, or Existence. But no matter what, his usage of special effects is always impressive, intentional, and tasteful, even if it's sometimes grotesque. A quick behind-the-scenes moment for those of you who do love this movie, and especially the awesome head explosion that happens pretty early in the movie by Revic. Know that they tried more than a few ways to make this look good, but in the end, um, it was the special effects supervisor who shot the dummy from behind with a shotgun, 
that created that incredible moment. So it looks really awesome. And just in case you were ever wondering how that happened, it was just a shotgun from behind. Along with Cronenberg's special effects brain, his stamp of a dystopian universe is all over this movie. This time, what happens is a small subsect of a group trying to overthrow a larger, seemingly more powerful one. And then there's also this group of scanners who have learned to harness their abilities and are relatively peaceful. There's more to the story than um, what you might initially expect settling into this movie. Of course, the doctor that I mentioned before, Dr. Ruth, isn't completely innocent. And there's a bigger connection between he and the two most powerful scanners, Vale and Revic, um, as well as a secret drug that's being administered to pregnant women to create more scanners. You see what I mean? It's a super involved storyline. Cronenberg really worked uh, in, in some pretty crafty writing all throughout the movie, including a favorite moment of mine involving Vale not needing a password to get into a computer system and instead using his his telepathic ability to scan the computer for information. To me, like, I find that moment really funny and I really wish I could do that. Like in, in 2020, I wish that that were a reality. It'd be really helpful. The epic scanner versus scanner ending is... is very cool, but, you know, you're kind of expecting that eventual face-off, but it comes with an unexpected twist. It's a very Cronenbergian ending. He's also a filmmaker known for his atmospheric music choices, and Scanners employs very synth-heavy, sometimes shrill musical score, uh, which adds this eerie, foreboding feeling that feels, like, haunting and overwhelming kind of all at once. And the intense, high-pitched scanning noise that happens whenever a brain scan is in progress is enough to wake up one of my dogs out of a deep sleep. If you've not seen this film, Scanners is not a frightening movie. So if you like science fiction, this is up your alley. It's not a horror movie, but it could be defined as such. Um, if anything, it's more on the cerebral sciency level. It's a slow burn, but, you know, it never really stops being entertaining. You just have to pay attention. Scanners is a good weekend afternoon movie when you really want to just get absorbed into a movie and then be rewarded with some fairly intense visuals every so often. And if you don't know any Cronenberg films, I think this is a pretty great one to start with. Yeah, I, man, I couldn't agree more. I love Cronenberg, but if someone was... Just getting into Cronenberg, I would say like Scanners would be a good start and then move into some of his other stuff. And then and then move on to some more things that might turn your stomach. But yeah. this one, this one's a good one to start out with. Yeah. And a great another uh, great kind of grimacing performance by Michael Ironside. This might be one of my favorites of him, too. He's um yeah, he plays a villain so well. And just, yeah, there's some something about him. He does it real well. All right, so for a total uh, 180 on films, going from Scanners to Kindergarten Cop, please, Justin, please remind us of this adorable, wonderful movie that is Kindergarten Cop. Total Recall came out in the summer of 1990, and Kindergarten Cop came out in December as kind of, you know, a holiday family movie the same year. And this movie plays... Uh, really effective for a, a feel-good movie that has some comedy. Uh, you know, there was definitely, I think, more comedy in the last Ivan Reitman Schwarzenegger teaming, which was Twins. They, of course, went on to do uh, Junior later on after Kindergarten Cop. But I think that, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger really trusted Ivan Reitman's 
a comedic take on movies. And this movie does play a little bit on the Schwarzenegger that we've seen in other movies. And I think that they play with that a little bit. You know, the very first 20 minutes of setting up Schwarzenegger, who plays, he's a cop. He's been estranged from his wife and his son. You know, he kind of feels like he wasn't a good father. You know, all he knows how to do is be a cop. And so he's been tracking this bad guy several, several years, played by Richard Tyson, who, if you're a fan of Three O'Clock High like I am, you'll recognize him. Uh, kind of plays like a goofy-looking bad guy in this movie. I don't know that the hair for, it, you know, really stands out. You know, it's like it, it kind of makes the movie look more 80s than it does 90s. It's just, it's a strange look for, for the opening of the film. But he kind of plays like this generic bad guy that Schwarzenegger's tracking and they catch him, but, uh, you know, he's going to he's gonna get off. You know, he's one of those guys that's connected. He's got a lot of money. He's, you know, can kill witnesses if he needs to. And so they want Schwarzenegger and a partner to go undercover to Astoria, Oregon, where this guy has, he's got a wife with a kid, and they somehow possibly stole this money from him. So they think if they can get a hold of them, they can find ways to you know, have them testify against him. Um, the movie kind of opens in a kind of mediocre cop movie sort of way. But then once we get settled in to Schwarzenegger being the kindergarten teacher, which wasn't his original job that he was set out for, it was supposed to be his partner that was with him, but she gets ill. And of course he has to take over and he's never had any teaching experience. And, you know, these kids sort of like bulldoze over him at the beginning of the second act but he starts applying all these sort of things that he learned as a cop you know he's like doing drills with them and having them march in formation and there's a bunch of like mini montages that are absolutely adorable I'll say it I mean they're what makes this movie so uh, heartfelt and all the kids that they chose for this are just perfect you know a couple of them you might recognize um, while Schwarzenegger's trying to figure out which mom is the one who is connected to the bad guy. He starts falling for one of the other teachers who turns out to be the woman that he's searching for. And, you know, he, he has a connection to her son. And we have a lot of these nice moments with, with him and, and the other teacher played by Penelope Ann Miller, who we've talked about in several of our episodes. Her chemistry with her and Schwarzenegger is like immediate. You kind of feel for them. His character kind of opens up. And I think for any Schwarzenegger movie, this is the most you see Arnold kind of like in character opening up about himself and he kind of plays this like kind of depressed character that you're not used to seeing. The movie ends the way it opens and again the sort of like very very kind of generic uh, cops and robbers bad guy sort of way but I, I don't think that that uh, ruins the movie in any way. You know this, this is these are one of those like situational comedy setups where they got to set up who he is and you know he's got to catch the bad guy at the end. But uh, overall, I think, you know, this is a very heartwarming movie. Schwarzenegger is a smart guy. He kn- he knew how to make his uh, appearance, you know, this like big, huge guy is a kindergarten teacher. You know, these kids even look tinier next to him. Um, all those scenes, they're just, you just laugh at him because it's so, it's so funny, the juxtaposition between, you know, his stature and, and these kids. Yeah, if you haven't seen it in a while, uh, I highly recommend it. It's, especially if you're needing to pick me up, the, this movie... Uh, was a really, you know, we're, we're going through all this shit with the pandemic and not being able to see anybody. And I needed a mo- mood booster the other night, and this movie was like the perfect thing. Oh, man, I didn't even think of it as, as something like that. But yeah, it really is that perfect combination of just ridiculous humor 
that you can't help. I challenge you to not laugh at this movie. But then, you know, the serious parts to it are, you know, it has to it has to do with the family dynamic and something that's very real and relatable. Yeah, this movie, I've always really loved Kindergarten Cop. There's something about Arnold Schwarzenegger being silly and goofy. And when it's around kids that are great performers, offset by a really solid cast, yeah, Kindergarten Cop is always going to be um, a fun one to watch. I'm so glad you did this one. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. My original pick was Screamers, and I'm glad I switched over to uh, to something more light and, and fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you did. So those are our picks of the week, Scanners and Kindergarten Cop. Both of those you can find streaming somewhere, I'm certain. Um, maybe not 100% for free, but uh, they are available to watch online. But let's uh, keep moving along. Here's your Murray moment. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're going to come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even show. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shocked? Flowing robes, grace, all striking. That was fun. I thought I'd take this opportunity to talk about one of the only times Billy's visited another world. Now, he's not known for action movies, space travel, or really much to do with any otherworldly human-like creatures. You're not really likely to find Bill Murray in something like Total Recall, though I would, hey, I'd pay money to see that, totally. But there was a time when Bill palled around with some beings from another time in space. That's right. I'm talking about the time that Bill Murray was in Space Jam. <laughs> Ever wonder why... He was in this basketball movie? Many people have. Is it because his son Luke is a basketball coach? Or maybe because his six foot two stature doesn't really shrink him in size while standing next to a six foot six Michael Jordan or a six foot nine Larry Bird? Could be. Yeah, could be. But the answer is actually a lot simpler than you might imagine. Billy's longtime pal and director of Kindergarten Cop, Ivan Reitman, was also the producer of this film. I'm just glad Murray showed up, said Joe Pitka, director of Space Jam. Billy's lengthy cameo in the movie is a solid reason to watch the entire thing. And unless you're below the age of 10, it might be some time since you've seen Space Jam. And as he recently pointed out in an interview with Jimmy Kimmel, people often don't remember how Billy becomes a total hero and a part of the entire reason that Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes gang win the game at the end of the movie. You know, people forget that I got the assist in the game-winning basket, Billy said. It's so easily forgotten. I stole the ball. I made the pass. Nothing. I don't even get interviewed after, he told Kimmel. Assisting in that winning game wasn't Billy's only notable part in the film. His calm and collected deadpan humor works surprisingly well in the movie. His sarcasm is understandable just to about any kiddo out there, and adult, obviously. It is funny, though, for some kids that Space Jam is probably how some kids even know who Bill Murray is in the first place just because he's playing Michael Jordan's best buddy in the movie. 
And his role was originally just written as him being Jordan's golfing buddy. Like, no mention of him ever going into any otherworldly basketball game. He didn't like the idea of working with animation, said the director. While we were shooting the golf course scene, he asked how I was dealing with actors, dealing with the animated characters. And when he found out how we were doing that, we actually wrote him a couple extra scenes at the end of the movie when he comes back for the basketball game. And for me, and I think pretty much anyone, um, those are some of Bill's best scenes in the movie. And those scenes of Jordan, Larry Bird, and Bill on the golf course might as well have been taken from real life. Because between takes, the trio would take in, you know, three, four holes of golf while the production would set up for another scene. Bill said that hanging out and goofing around while they were golfing made it a lot easier and smoother to shoot their scenes together. And though he did some bonding with some of the basketball stars, you know, um, Bill said that he wasn't necessarily invited to uh, play ball on set. And this was um, uh, during a time when Michael Jordan, you know, had this full size court on the movie set. Uh, But Bill, you know, he he wasn't invited. I don't think uh, my shoes were new enough. That's what Bill said of never being asked to play in one of the games. But that didn't stop him from looking in on off-camera games. Kind of amazed the this full-size court was built on site, which had come to be known as Jordan Dome. And the basketball players and actors, not even in the film, would come and play during downtime. Current players at the time, retired ones, the Wayans brothers showed up, and even Queen Latifah was there for just about as often as the Wayans brothers. Sure, Billy getting to travel to Toonland in space sounds a little different than, you know, Mars and Total Recall, but hanging out with legendary basketball players all day, getting to play yourself in a movie, and golf in between takes, well, that just sounds otherworldly by itself, despite being able to say you helped win a basketball game in space. Man, I haven't seen Space Jam probably since it came out, and I totally forgot that Bill Murray's in that movie. I think that that's an easy thing to happen. But I know for um, a lot of of kids, uh, they don't really know who Bill Murray is except for Space Jam. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Well, thank you for that Murray moment. Of course. Was there any uh, last thoughts you had on Total Recall before we wrap this episode up for the night? I mean, other than it's a fun fact knowing that uh, this movie got an X rating before uh, the MPAA made Verhoeven cut it down. Um, I do have to say one thing I love about this movie are the the fight scenes. And I'm not I'm not really, you know, someone that like, wants to watch a lot of fighting or a lot of martial arts in a movie. Uh, I'm not against it. It's just not something I go for in a movie. But the the fight scenes are so imaginative and obviously choreographed, you know, not in a way that they seem unrealistic, but just they're so inventive and, and uh, interesting to watch. And I particularly appreciate when Melina and, and Sharon Stone are fighting, um, that they're, I mean, they're not pulling hair. They're like going for it. You know, it's not this kind of wimpy, what you would imagine, you know, some, some dude making a movie and, and, and two women fighting. Like it's a, it's a full on battle scene. All of the fight scenes are just 
really fresh, man. It's it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch. Yeah, I, I agree. I I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of fight sequences in movies much more than like a shoot 'em up scenes and like car chase scenes. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm a I love you know martial arts movies and all the Rocky movies and uh, you know I'm Van Damme. Yeah, love me some Van Damme. But um, yeah, I appreciate this movie for all the multiple fight fight sequences. Kind of also like breaks up the nonstop shooting that's going on in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you? Final thoughts? It's mine was more of like a trivial thing that I found. The Schwarzenegger character, they his in the story by Philip K. Dick, the uh, his last name instead of Quaid, instead of Quaid, his last name was Quail. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they were when they were going to approaching to shoot this movie, they were worried that there might be some like you know misinterpreted political message if they because it was already kind of a political movie in and of itself that they the the name Quail people might get confused and, and misinterpreted since at the time the vice president's the vice president was Dan Quayle and people had some pretty strong opinions of him and so they changed the last name of Schwarzenegger's character to Quaid. It's pretty funny. It really says something for the time. It is. And, and though I was a kid when that happened, I like, I read, you know, I read that and I was like, Dan Quayle. Hmm. Totally forgot about that dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like there was a thing with, wasn't there a thing with Murphy Brown? Like Murphy Brown, take him down. I think so. Yeah. I think he Taking was just, somebody I think else. he was just kind of like a laughing stock for four years. And then was yeah. just like, I'm out. I think he's uh, like raising he, Labradors in Wyoming or something. I hope so. That sounds like a great life. Yeah. I I hope he is. I really hope he is. I don't know. Um, I, maybe he's a good dog dad. You yeah. know, you never know. He could be. He could be. Probably not in the 80s, though. He'd be the kind of guy that would, like, leave him in the car and go into a grocery store for, like, 45 minutes in the middle of the summer. You're right. I don't want him owning any dogs. Yeah. Dan Quayle. No. <laughs> Um, one, one, uh, I just brought last... up that final thought to do some like really, uh, stale <laughs> dated Dan Quayle jokes. <laughs> um, aside, aside from that final thought, um, we should, we would be remiss if we did not mention the incredibly epic score to this film. Um, done by Jerry Goldsmith, who, I mean, what, wh- I, I think the question should be, what movie hasn't Jerry Goldsmith done or been involved with in, in, in some way? I mean, he can uh, really feel out the entire tone of a movie. And I mean, how do you talk about music? But somehow this guy is able to leave such a uh, lasting impression. Yeah. Um, and and Total Recall is certainly an example of that. And this this score is like not a real straightforward kind of movie score. There's some peculiar moments in it. Jerry Goldsmith said people kind of bagged on the score because they said it didn't have a theme, you know. And he he was like, no, there's totally a theme to the whole thing. It's not something you're gonna whistle on the way home, but it's, it's <laughs> yeah. totally there. Yeah. After like five times of watching this, I found myself doing the drum beat actually to the opening yeah. opening credits. Well, let's stop, let's stop there. Hope you've enjoyed our talks on Total Recall. If you haven't seen this movie in a while, it's totally worth uh, another look. If you're like me, you'll probably watch it again next year. What do we have coming up next, Lindsay? Well, we're going to go forward a couple years uh, into the mid-90s for a 
life-changing moment for a certain actor named Jim Carrey, who was coming off of a sketch comedy show and uh, did a movie that blew up into a phenomenon and blew up his career, and that was called Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. That's exciting. I'm uh, really ready to like just watch a bunch of Jim Carrey movies for a couple weeks. <laughs> There's something really special about that era, and growing up then and being the target audience for that, man, I was sucked into Jim Carrey. And I watched him on in Living Color, so um, I, I was that annoying kid that like did impressions of him and stuff. So I'm pretty stoked about it. Well, that's what we got coming up next episode, uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and probably a slew of Jim Carrey movies. Yeah. Please, if you haven't, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. Um, you can find a lot of our old episodes there. Uh, you can find all of our old episodes on our website at don'tpushpausepodcast.com. We have an archive there dating all the way back to our very first episode. And as well on our website, you can find a merch store. We have all kinds of merch for sale. We have also movie posters, uh, some memorabilia-type stuff. All that money uh, helps us... Uh, keep funding a bigger and better podcast for your listening ears and if you want to contact us reach us for any reason whatsoever uh, just tell us what movie you're watching tell us uh, if you liked an episode just your messages um, have really made our day and uh, nothing is more exciting when I get an email and someone said oh I checked out this episode or I haven't seen this movie in a while I usually screenshot it and I text it immediately to Lindsay and you know we, we it always makes us feel good so please um, if you like an episode, let us know how you feel. You can always contact us at don'tpushpausepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reaper. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks a lot.